Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Easter Sunday at Grace Hills Church. Well, good morning. Don't leave me hanging up here, all right? John Stott is a well-known uh, leader in religious circles, and he's a pastor as well as a theologian, and he made this uh, very simple statement. He said, Christianity is a religious faith, but even more so is a resurrection faith. He said, if you don't have the resurrection, you really don't have Christianity. Another writer once said, he said, if the resurrection didn't happen, the New Testament would not have been written. But as you come in today, you might have... Uh, been on a Easter Sunday in a church like this uh, before, and you will probably have heard the story, and as you hear it today, you're thinking, well, been there, done that, heard that, and maybe you believe in the resurrection, maybe you're thinking about believing in the resurrection, maybe you reject the resurrection, but there's a different question that you struggle with. Not did it happen is, is so what? Even if Jesus is alive, did it really matter back then, and does it really matter today? Well, this morning we're going to look at how it mattered back then, and hopefully you see the implications for how drastically important it is for each one of us today. I was reading the story about this little girl, and she was three years old. Her name was Nicole, and she had experienced Christmas, and all the little children love Christmas, particularly as they begin to anticipate all the gift-giving and all the colors and all the festivities during that particular holiday, and they don't always get Easter that quickly. And so the, the father, father and mother were kind of anticipating this maybe first conscious awareness of Easter, but before they could explain it to her, uh, she came running up to them and said, Daddy, Daddy, I'm so excited about Easter. He was a little surprised by that, and so he asked her a very simple question, well, do you understand what Easter is all about? And she says, sure I do, Dad. Well, what does it mean? And then stepping back and raising up her arms, she simply said, surprise! And the reality is she caught it. Because even in that first Christmas, it was a first Christmas, first Easter, it was a surprise to everybody. But I want it to be a surprise for you in a fresh way, not simply that we tell the story that's been told many, many times before, but a surprise to you of how significant it should be now for you. Now, if you have your Bibles, and there should be a Bible around, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. If not, you can just listen on as I read the text. But we want to share with you again that story in which it gives us the account of what happened. And interesting enough, there are four records, in their historical records, whether you believe the Bible's inspired or not, they are historical documents, that, that lay down what happened that first Easter. And the accounts, the writers, have a variety of details that describe some things. Sometimes one writer will add some things, the other one does not. But there are four things that each writer emphasizes. One is the empty tomb, one is a couple angels show up. Third, the women are first on the scene and uh, come to faith much earlier than the men. And then you have the doubting disciples. So often we think of one disciple as being a doubter, Thomas, but they were all doubting this event that we, we recognize changed the world. 
And what we're going to see here, and looking at these four accounts, but particularly through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see how significant it is for each one of us to understand the so what of Jesus is alive. Uh, let's pick it up, and, and I want to give you a very simple point to begin with. As we think about what it mattered then and what it matters now, the empty tomb means you don't have to stay confused. Uh, listen as we just look at what Luke recorded for us that first Easter Sunday. Jesus had died on the cross on, on Friday. He had endured the pain for six hours on the cross. He had experienced all the beating and mocking before that. And then for three days and three nights, we have Jesus, parts of every day in which Jesus is in the tomb. And then we have Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, we, we have the women coming. The men had basically fled, and now the women come to anoint the body in a further way. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, and, and just a word of note, you know, we, we have names or labels for each days of the, of the week in our culture. We have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They basically remember their days by numbers. The Sabbath was the seventh day, but every else was just numbered. It's the first day and the second day. And so Sunday was that first day of the week, and they came to the place in which they knew that Jesus was buried. And it says, now on the first day, very early in the morning. Interesting enough, each one of the Gospels uh, writers say and describe it a little bit differently. In Matthew, he records it was the beginning of dawn. In Mark, he describes it as the sun begins to rise. Here it's early in the morning. And John records that it was, it was dark. Now some people, when they look at the Bible, they say, well, I can't believe the Bible because there's so many contradictions within it. Well, what you need to understand is those apparent contradictions are one of the reasons we believe it's actually true. Because if you've ever been caught up in a situation where you've got to get your story right, and there are a number of witnesses, and you have time to get together, you'll, you'll collaborate. And you'll make sure that not only you have the story right, that each one of you say exactly the same thing. Well, that's not what happened here. God inspired them to simply record what they had experienced or what they had heard. But they were not contradictory. They were just simply seeing it from a different angle. Think about it. If you have got up early this morning, if you got up early enough, it would have been dark outside. And if you stayed just a little bit longer, the dawn of the day would begin to break. And then you would begin to see the sun simply beginning to rise. And you could still understand that it was early. And so you don't see these writers somehow trying to, to make the story in a way in which it's more believable. They're simply telling the truth. In fact, a little bit later on when we talk about the role of the women, this was an embarrassing truth that they would have preferred to leave out. These were men who wrote the Scriptures. And they don't want the women to be the heroes and them to be the villains. They simply gave the record as it happened. So it was the first day of the week. It was early in the morning. And certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And just a, also just a, a, a side note. Sometimes as you look at the Easter portrayed maybe on a flannel graph or in pictures or, or whatever it might be, and you see the different characters within there, you, you'll see the stone away from the entrance to the tomb. But you need to understand in terms of the resurrection, the resurrection, the, the, 
The stone was not moved for the purpose of letting Jesus out. He had already left. It was kind of like Star Trek Revisited. It was just, he dematerialized and went out of that, that tomb. It was to let the people in. They had to see what had happened. And Matthew records for us, there was a great earthquake and the angel rolled the stone away. Why? So that we could see. But what was their response? Verse 2, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. And I want to stop right there. You need to understand that at that first Easter, Everyone did not believe. Everyone did not anticipate that Jesus would be true to his word, that he would raise from the dead. They did not expect this. We have the conversations recorded in the other Gospels that they immediately thought that someone had taken him away, that someone had stolen him, and they could not honor the one that they loved so much. And they were filled with confusion. It's interesting with this word perplexed, as translated in the New King James Bible and other translations, it really comes from an interesting word in the Greek language. It comes from a word, compound word, that begins with what's called the alpha prefix, which is an A, from which is simply a statement of something being negative or not there. And then the word standing for way. It was a no way experience. If you were to find that, it's interesting that word is used in a variety of different ways. It's used to describe a distress of nations, in a papyri illustrations, it's used as being at one's wit in, one's wits in, at a loss of how to proceed, and without resources. And when you understand what that's simply saying here is that first Easter initially, they felt there was no way out. They were just filled with questions, not answers. They had no resources for what was going to come next. They were filled with despair. They were despondent, not having any hope. And now when they initially saw the empty grave, they didn't immediately respond in faith. They responded with more perplexion, more confusion. They did not know what was going to happen next. What's the so what of Easter? And we're going to see as we see the story unfold. Is that the resurrection is to announce to us that we do not have to be confused. We don't have to be without resources in this life. We don't have to wonder what's going to happen next. In fact, that's what I want to emphasize as we think about the so what as we begin. As you think about the resurrection, you can know. What happens next? This past week, one of our members of our church passed away, and we had the service for the family and friends. And when you have an experience like that, often people are are really thinking about life much more than they think of life in other times in life. Because at death, we wonder what really is important. And they begin to share all kinds of experiences and memories of the one they've loved and have had an impact and imprint in their life. But as they share memories, there, there comes that point of wondering, well, will we ever see that loved one again? And, and Jesus, even before he went to the cross, wanted to make it certain that we didn't have to come to this place confused. 
That familiar passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus said this as he told them about his coming death, which they simply did not believe because they didn't think it could happen, the one who gave life. He said, let not your heart be troubled. And really that word trouble has that same idea that's found here. It's, it's the idea of confusion about what's going to happen next. Someone as well said, you're not really prepared to live until you're prepared to die. And God wants to settle that once and for all, the confusion about what happens next. I don't know if you saw this past couple weeks, Time Magazine came up with a, their Easter story. They always come up with something during this period of time. And on the headline front page of the Time Magazine is, what if there is no hell? Of course, I when I asked the other question, what if there is a hell? But in the byline of that, they said a massive shift of what it really means to be a Christian. And if they tell the story of a, a very popular pastor who I've heard many times and is a great communicator. In fact, in the article, it's written by John Meacham, who is a Pulitzer Prize winner. And he describes this preacher as a combination of Billy Graham and Conan O'Brien. But he has a great following. But in it, what he did was to make a statement that that maybe everyone is going to make it in the end. See, the story of Easter week is that not only is there the empty tomb, but as we've sung already, there was the cross. And Jesus died so that we might know without confusion that we can know the next step. But as he goes on this passage a little bit further, he tells them, I want you to know I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. The so what of Easter is that we don't have to be confused about what's going to happen next in our life if we've embraced Jesus as the Savior of our sin. But it's interesting what shows up on that Easter morning is there are a couple people that God often sends when people are filled with confusion. He he brings some revelation from above and he, he sends a couple angels. And so as they're perplexed, as they're wondering what has happened to Jesus, it says in verse 4 that, that two men, we know in other accounts of the Easter story, that these were angels. They stood by them in the shining garments. doesn't say anything about wings, but they were shining. Then as they were afraid, speaking about the women, and they bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why, the angels to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? With the very simple statement is that, If he's living, he's not here in the tomb. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day he rose again. Really what he did to the women who had been with him probably for three years, some of them, some of them might have been longer as they they knew him even before he had his public ministry. And, And he said, weren't you listening Weren't you listening when he kept telling you that he came to die? But the grave would not hold him? 
In every single one of the Gospels that records Jesus said, I'm going I'm to die, and then I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to die, I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to die, I'm going to raise from the dead. At least seven specific times in different occasions did Jesus speak about his death and resurrection, but they did not get it. And because of that, they were filled with fear. Now, they were filled with fear because they were confused, and so they brought them truth. And so as we think about how God gives us truth, we need to understand that that God brings people into our lives so that we might know what God wants us to hear. But as we respond to His truth, we want every one of us to understand it's not some just mystical experience, but He will meet us at our point of need. See, they were greatly afraid. The, the, the word for fear there is an interesting word. It's a word that we sometimes use in our own language. It's a word for, it's phobos, from which we get the word phobia. And maybe if we had time just to share in experiences, and maybe you can do it at our refreshment time, we could share. Did any of you have any phobias? I mean, any of you afraid of heights? Or, or maybe some of you afraid of cats? Or I don't know what you're afraid of. My, 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 uh, my wife, a uh, number of years ago, remember all the, those earthquakes that kind of hit uh, California for a while? And, and there was a period of time where she, developed, she doesn't have any other particular phobias, but she became very afraid of earthquakes. Anytime there would be a shake, even just the thought of something out of control that could grab her children and, and she couldn't rescue them just filled her with fear. Jesus came to deal with the source of our deepest fear. What is life all about? What's going to happen next? Do I know for sure where I will spend eternity when I die? What about my loved ones? Where have they gone and where are they headed? Am I prepared to face God and answer, why should I let you into this place that I've prepared for you? Just yesterday, I was up early. I was working in, in my yard, and one of my neighbors came over, and, and he began to share about some experiences, and, and uh, something interesting happened. And he said, you think that was an angel who talked to me? And then he made reference it was, it was one of his family members who he thought was that angel. <laughs> and at first I was wondering, should, should I get into this? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, and then he asked me the question, well, what do you think? I said, well... And he has some reference to the Bible. I said, well, in the Bible, angels are not departed people from this world that somehow God attaches some wings on their back. These are created beings in which God has created in eternity past that serve him. We have earth suits and they have heavenly suits. But they are messengers from God. And most of the time, we don't recognize angels that are around us. The book of Hebrews says that sometimes we will experience angels unaware. They could show up and we wouldn't even know what they were, they were actually there in terms because they took on the human form. But I want, I want to say this to you very plainly. When someone speaks for God, and in this particular experience, it, were, it was two angelic beings, the reason you know they're speaking from God and not speaking from some other source is what they say then 
will coincide with what God has said in the past. And see how they reference to what had happened? They said that Jesus rose from the dead and he did exactly what he had said he would do. As we think about the so what of Easter, we can know what happens next. And secondly, you can know that God will do what he says. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And maybe you have fears this morning, and you wouldn't call them phobias, but there are things that control your life. And God does not promise that he will take away those things that concern you or bring worry in your life, but he will give you the ability to not be controlled by them. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And when we know that God is in control, no matter what happens in this life, we know that with God's presence, we can go through it. The women show up on the scene, and here we begin to experience people not always believing what they've been told. Verse, verse 8, and they remembered his words, Jesus' words, because as the angels brought back to mind what he had said, then they returned from the tomb, and they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the women with him, who, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. The very simple point here is that the, the women know what they're talking about, but it doesn't mean you will listen. In fact, when, when you hear the truth, the reality is, even though it is true, whether you believe it or not, you have a choice to make. See, they knew what had happened. They'd experienced it firsthand. They knew what they were talking about. But those who heard them, particularly the doubting disciples, they saw it as idle talk, as nonsense talk, as foolish talk. Many of you have heard the story about Jesus raising from the dead. You've heard about the empty grave. You've heard about God sending the the angels to, to speak for God and remind them of the truth. You've heard the testimony of others, and maybe you don't have the opportunity to go back in time and speak to those women that were there the first time, but you've heard of other people's relationships with Jesus and how it changed their lives. And you're at that point. And you have to decide, is this nonsense? Is this just simply idle talk? Or is it true? There are a lot of things that happen in life that we, we can't understand, we it's even hard to believe. I was, I was reading about, you know, this is baseball season. And I remember what this had happened. At least I remember the first part of it. But a man named Bob Cartwright was initially disappointed when he was unable to accept an invitation to fly to New York with his friend Tyler Stanger and Major League Baseball pitcher Corey Lytle for a playoff game between the Yankees and the Tigers. He felt differently when he saw the news that that Stanger and Lytle had crashed into an apartment building and died. I'm sure he never believed that could happen to his two closest friends. I'm sure he believed that, that he should have been on that plane and so he could have been with his friends and then he, then he discovered that their lives had been taken. But that was not the end of the story. I was supposed to be on that plane, Cartwright said, yet just one month later, Cartwright died in another plane crash 
near his mountain home in California. See, we never know when our life is going to be over. And what we need to discover, are we prepared for that moment in time when we'll breathe our last? The women came to tell the disciples, and they would not listen. And each one of us have to make that choice. Will we listen to the voice of God who speaks about His Son? It is a very simple truth. You must hear the truth before you believe it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In James chapter 1, verse 19, he says we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Why should we believe the women's report? Because as you look at just the events of that day, there was an empty tomb. No one denies that. We know that Jesus of Nazareth died. He was put to death by those who were professionals, the Romans. We recognize that if you look at just the, what's called the Jerusalem effect, it makes no sense that, that those who would write about this would write a lie, lie when they would not make the women the heroes, the ones who would believe. We recognize that the women were the ones who became the initial people who gave testimony because they were there at the cross. The, women had, the men had split other than John. And at the hand of two or three witnesses, you need to confirm the truth. They'd seen him die. And then we find out they saw him raised from the dead. There were eyewitnesses. The Bible says that there were at least 11 specific appearances of Jesus after the cross and after the empty grave. At one time, over 500 people saw him. The issue is, if we hear the story, will we believe it? We never know when life will end, but are we prepared for that moment when it will? What's the so what of Easter? The so what of Easter is, because of the empty tomb, we don't have to be perplexed or confused of what happens next. Because of Easter, we don't have to be filled with fear because there are answers for what is most important in life. Because of Easter, we don't have to think that it was just a few people who experienced His resurrection. It was a group of people, over 500 that saw Him, beginning with the women first. But then finally, we must realize it comes in a moment of time where we must make a choice. And we're going to see just in one singular verse this point. The one who really wants to know God will keep looking. But the question is, will you? We already heard the disciples rejected the, the testimony of the women. They thought it was idle talk. But in verse 12, curiosity struck Peter as well as John. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. It's interesting as you look at the possibility of someone taking the body of Jesus and running away f- with it. Uh, there are a couple of problems with that particular supposition. One is, who would have done it? If the 
Pharisees had done it, they would have simply, once the story about Jesus' resurrection had, had gone to press, they would have simply brought the body to demonstrate that it was a lie. If it was the disciples that had done it, you'd have wondered, well, did they really have the means to do it and a method? Huh? Were they going to overpower the Roman guard that was there? And what would be the motive? They died for this. And even this, they were not presupposed to believe. <laughs> they didn't think this was going to happen. But when Peter showed up and he saw the grave clothes, they weren't just thrown all over as someone who had desperately wanted to escape with some treasure at hand. It was like he had evaporated from the clothes that had bound him. And he now began to experience the seeds of faith that brought him to the point of really realizing that Jesus had risen from the dead. Some people are like those who hear something too good to be true. Think about it for a moment and then just let it pass. And I'm not trying to somehow solve the question of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, but from our perspective, the the reason that Peter came to faith is because he wanted to discover whether this was really true. He was willing to go from where he was to that tomb to discover, is this true what the women had to say? See, if this is actually true, that then you, above all the things that have ever happened in life, need to check it out. Talk to those who do believe. See if Christ has made a difference in their life. Look at the evidences for the resurrection. Look for the evidence as it relates to the truth of the Word of God. Look at what had God, has God has done through the... The, the line of history to demonstrate who he is. See, the, the truth of the resurrection is that, that God wants you to come into his family. It, it's not that God is lost, but we're lost. Are we looking to be found? There was this kid in our kindergarten class that decided to take a field trip to a police station. And on this police station, there were, there were the pictures of the ten most wanted men in that community. The children were looking up at the pictures. They were fascinated by them. And, and they, asked, they asked the police officers, tell us about these pictures. And, and they described them and said, these are the men in our community that we most want to capture and to find. One little boy thought about it for a moment, and he looked at the pictures. Like, for instance, that person right there in that picture, you, you really want to find that person? Yes, we really desperately do. And he thought for a moment again, and he said, well, why didn't you keep him when you took the picture of him? <laughs> God has a picture of you on his refrigerator. And he wants you. And I don't know what the number is about the most wanted, but he wants every one of us in this room today. And the truth is, you can know God if you really want to. Taking the words of Jesus, he said this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. We've all had prayers that have not been answered. At least that's how we describe them when things don't happen according to our plan. 
And that's true before you embrace Christ as, a Lord, as your Lord and Savior, and it's true after you embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. God has not promised us that we'll go through life filled with no difficulties, no challenges, no problems. But what He has told us is that through everything in life, God will be there. But I can tell you one prayer that will be answered, and it's this prayer. God, I want to know you. By your grace and mercy, will you forgive me of my sin? God will answer the prayer of a person who is running to Him, to Him, and wants to embrace Him as their Lord and Savior. There are a lot of ways we could describe that step. <laughs> One simple way is look, look at the, the very simple ABCs of the gospel. They're this. Number one, A, admit your need and turn from your sin. In a few moments, we're going to have some people illustrate this step that they have made because they're going to be baptized. An opportunity to ask Garrett right before uh, the service. I said, why did you want to become a Christian? And he described a very few, few things. And I said, well, was there anything wrong in your life? Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've done things that are wrong. You see, you'll never know God until you want to know Him. And the only way you'll know Him is to know that you need Him. It's admitting your need and turning from that which breaks the heart of God. The Bible said that we're all in that particular place for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Admit your need and turn from your sin. B, believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for your sins and rose again. See, that's the so what of, of Easter that Jesus is alive. It proved that what He did on the cross really mattered. That it had power to, to do what he said it would do, which is to forgive the sins of those who will confess them to him. Believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for your sins and rose again. So the Bible is pretty plain about what the penalty for sin is. For the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. And then there's that, that place of choice. It's committing to follow Jesus as Lord, God, and Savior. It's coming to that point in your life where you say, God, God, I want it. I want to know you. I don't want to know about you. I don't want to simply hear the stories. I want to know you. It's in the quietness of your heart and expressing all that is, is within you. Say, God, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus is the Savior for my sin. Forgive me my sin right now. I want to follow you. In a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to make that commitment this morning. To say, once and for all, I believe in Jesus and I want to follow Him. This past year, there was a list of books that were presented as the, the 100 titles of books with the byline within them that said, this has changed the world. They had a variety of things that they believed that had revolutionized or changed the world. One title was the Model T Ford, the car that changed the world. There was a particular book in, in which it said, the, the explosive that changed the world. It was dynamite. There were a variety of things. There was a color that changed the world, mauve, the color that changed the world. There's only one event that has changed the world, and that's the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it won't change your world 
until he's part of your world. Let's pray. Father, we want everyone here to experience the so what of Easter. And each of us need to come to that point in our life where we settle once and for all what happens next in our life. That we settle once and for all dealing with the fears that so often control us. That we settle for once and for all whether we believe it or whether it's just idle talk. That once and for all, we decide, do we really want to have a relationship with God if it's possible? Father, there's someone here this morning that, that desperately wants to know the God who came for them. Might they pray this prayer in their heart? Dear Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life right now. I want to follow you as my Lord, as the leader of my life. I want to follow you as my God. I want to follow you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We're going to experience those who have made that step, demonstrate that in a public way, and then hear the testimony of those who have made that as we worship Him the rest of our time together and give unto Him as well this morning.